Welcome to Podcasts on Demand, a continuing medical education activity. This activity includes the most recent and current clinical data presented by leading experts. If you are seeking continuing education credit, please review the disclosures and the requirements for a successful completion of the activity prior to listening to the podcast. A link is found in the podcast description that can direct you to this information. Thank you for joining us for conversations in advanced non-small cell lung cancer, rational and utility of trope 2 antibody drug conjugates based on updates from World Conference on Lung Cancer and ESMO. During this segment, we will be discussing the optim- uh, optimizing use of ADCs in different settings of non-small cell lung cancer, as well as a specific focus on toxicity of these drugs. I'm Dr. Aaron Lisberg, thoracic medical oncologist at the University of California, Los Angeles. I'm joined today by my colleagues, Dr. Benjamin Levy and Dr. Alexander Spira. So uh, I think that in this segment, uh, it will be most uh, important for us to really focus on the toxicities. And I know we, all three of us have had um, a lot of experience with these drugs. So I think that uh, in terms of toxicities, let's just lead um, with Dr. Spira uh, in terms of single agent activity. And we'll we'll turn to you, Ben, afterwards in terms of the combos. Um, So with respect to these trope 2 ADCs, what has your general experience been, Alex, uh, with, with these drugs? And what toxicities have you found particularly difficult to manage? Yeah, so you know, I talk. I think about these as chemo on a stick, and I think it's easy to forget. You know, they're called antibody drug conjugates. That leaves out the name that there's a chemotherapy warhead at the end. So I kind of think about it as two ones. One is you can have binding of the antibody to a normal cell, and you're going to get side effects from that, as well as leakage uh, or release of the warhead into the general circulation. So you know, thinking specifically about you know, let's talk about some of these trope two drugs, which we've been talking a lot today. You know, for me, the biggest issue that I've seen in most people, especially with datapotamab deruxtecan, is the mucositis. And while there's a lot of a lot of other side effects that I see, the mucositis for me is a tough one. And it's been tough because it, it just doesn't happen on day one. It's something that lingers for a week or two, right? So you give people the drug and then all of a sudden about a weekend, they're having a tough time swallowing, uh, tough time keeping food down. And it's one of those things that gets very annoying in quality of life. They come back in day 18 before the next treatment, they've lost about two or three pounds, rinse, lather, repeat, they start doing it again. And, you know, we kind of think of these drugs as people are on for quite some time. You know, many patients in the phase one study were on this for, for a long time. And what ends up happening is they have continual side effects. Maybe they're on some narcotics for a few days on there. They're having a tough time swallowing. Um, it, it's, for me, it's, that's the most challenging thing to manage because of it. And, you know, even if you look at the studies, you know, grade one or two mucositis is not so bad. But if any of us had a grade one or grade two sore throat for a week or two, 10 days out of every three weeks, it gets to be annoying as well, especially when you kind of think about it, well, it's not really chemotherapy. And in my experience, maybe you guys are smarter than me, there's not a lot of things I know that help. You know, we've all tried dexamethasone mouth rinses. My nurses love it. I don't get a long way with it. Uh, you know, the ice chips during the infusion, people have tried. I don't get a long way with it as well. So I struggle to manage it for data DXD. Uh, you know, I've had a few patients on sasituzumab. And for me, there's a slightly different side effect. It's, I think it's the SN38 analog from the warhead. It's diarrhea. So for me, I've had a few more patients in diarrhea with that drug. And that obviously is very troublesome, obviously. Uh, dehydration, going to the bathroom, a lot of quality of life there. So for me, those are the two biggest side effects I think about for those two major trope 2 drugs that we either uh, completing studies and hope to be, will hope to be approved soon. Excellent. Well, thank you for that answer. And and Ben, how has your experience been different? I know you've worked a lot with the combination with immunotherapy. So how has that uh, been the same or different? And how have you managed these toxicities? 
I think it's it's relatively the same, maybe a little bit more more pronounced. You know, I, I agree. You know, I, I look at these toxicities through the prism through two through two separate prisms. I look at through through the prism of traditional chemotherapy. So the normal chemotherapy side effects that we see um, with other chemotherapies, we're seeing it with these with these ADCs. I mean, Alex mentioned the diarrhea with with sasituzumab gravidecan. So you have the the GI toxicities. You have the cytopenias, you have the general or the fatigue, uh, you have the alopecia, unfortunately, uh, for many of our patients. And so those are the kind of the, the traditional ones that we see with ADCs that we also have learned to treat and mitigate with other chemotherapies in the past. Um, the, the ones that have really are of special interest, and Alex touched on one of these, um, is, is the stomatitis. Uh, we see that not only with single agent, but unfortunately, we see it in combination with immunotherapy um, and, and getting ahead of that and some of these mitigation strategies that Alex talking about, the ice chips, the, 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 the proactive dexamethasone rinse may or may not help. We're getting around. The other two things I think that are worth mentioning, again, either as single agent or in combination or the ocular events that we're seeing. And I, I think you know, my experience with this has been with the immunotherapy has been, you know, dry eyes. Um, you can also get increased lacrimation, uh, but dry eyes tends to be the most common thing we see. And we have to partner with our ophthalmologist or optometrist. And then I think, again, importantly, when you start talking either a single agent or in combination with IL, but I think perhaps more important combination with IL is this uh, drug-related ILD. And um, so those are the three of like the, the three separate AEs that I think about that are separate from the traditional ones: the stomatitis, the ocular vents, uh, and and then the ILD. And I think you have to be extremely proactive with ILD. We certainly have had to be uh, proactive with ILD in common uh, when using ADCs in combination with 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 immunotherapy. We witnessed this in less than ten percent of patients when we combine it with IO, but it's still there, and we see it as single agent too. Um, so I think. The, the 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 sort of the comforting news here is that the toxicities, many of them that we're seeing with these ADCs are those that we see with those ataxyl or gemcitabine or or paclitaxel. And, and we have some understanding, although we may need to get a little bit more sophisticated with managing these with the ADCs. The other ones, the ILD, the ocular events, and the stomatitis are, are relatively new uh, for us. The ILD, maybe we've learned to deal with this with the IO. But the ocular events and the and the and the, um, and the uh, stomatitis are relatively new, and we are going to have to be extremely proactive uh, when managing these patients. If we want to get them through this journey, um, then we're going to need to be proactive, and we're going to need to partner with our subspecialists in helping them get through this. I mean, I, I have a tough time finding the ophthalmologist. Maybe they're all in Virginia, Alex. I don't know. Uh, but but you know, partnering with our subspecialists are going to be really important for some of these toxicities. Yeah, I think that your emphasis on being proactive, I think, is really important. And I just want to throw something out to both of you and see what your experience has been. Um, in terms of the mucositis, and then we'll turn to the ILD. Um, when you've dose delayed and dose reduced, what has your experience been? Has that been an effective way to manage the mucositis? Has that, in other words, re reduced the patient's um, uh, symptomatology and potentially allowed them to stay on therapy longer with less side effects? I don't know, Ben, what have you seen with those maneuvers? Yeah, I think four is better than six with data put about deruxtecan. I have had a, a, a favorable experience dose reducing from six mg per cake to four mg per cake 
and helping out? Does it work with the stomatitis and some of these other side effects? Uh, also fatigue. Is it work all the time? No. Um, but uh, I do think dose reductions are important. Um, I, I think starting at six mix per kg is is fine, but getting get ready to go down to four mix per kg is going to be important if this drug gets FDA approval and gets put into the clinic. Uh, I haven't used sesotuzumab, Gabinikin. I, I know may, maybe both of you have. I haven't used it, so I don't have a lot of experience with that. But I'm I, I'm excited to use it if it you know if Evoke One gets gets shows some of the similar trends, if not better, than Tropion Lung One. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had the similar experience with the dose reduction. Again, more experience with data for sure. Uh, dose delay and dose reduction. Has that been effective for you as well, Alex, with the mucositis specifically? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had luck dose reducing from six to four. I don't find the dose delays really help very much. They feel better for a week. They can put a few more pounds on and then right back where they started from. But I agree with both you, Aaron, and, both, and you, Ben, as well. Yeah. And for then me, the dose reduction to four is reasonable. The follow-up question to that, again, I have my own experience, but I'd be interested to hear both of yours. Maybe, Alex, if you can just answer first. Um, when you've done those dose reductions, potentially in patients that have been on for a while, have you seen a temporal relationship between loss of tumor control um, at that time point, or have you seen continued good um, durability of a benefit in patients? So I don't think I've seen a significant change in response rates or durability. Of course, it's hard to tell as well, right? They've already, you know, typically they've already had a response. You're kind of seeing what's going on. So I don't think I've reduced somebody and then their tumor started to grow. Whether or not that's because four is still very active or just the biology of their tumor, for me, it's hard to really tease those two out. Yeah, that's been my experience as well. Uh, ben, have you seen the same thing, or has have you have you lost control in some of those situations? No, I you know I think again dose reduction. I'm I'm not worried about lo losing tumor control from six to four, at least with the data put in my drugs I can. Um, I you know four to two maybe a little bit different, um, but I think four may be the sweet spot for many of our patients with this drug. Um, of course, starting at six, but I I haven't had that experience. We're going down to four, and all of a sudden you know, there's disease progression everywhere and there was this temporal relationship with the dose reduction. I, I haven't seen that in, in the studies that we've done. Yeah, and that's been my experience as well. Okay, so let's turn our attention to ILD because I think that's a very important topic for us to discuss about. Um, and then you, you led with that discussion and talked about, again, being very proactive. What have these, in the patients where you've seen ILD, how have they presented and how, how is presentation, I mean, especially in the setting of a combination, how do you approach that? There's obviously no way to know which drug um, is causing, but have you used steroids? Has that been effective? You know, Yeah, I, it's a little bit different management. I mean, I think there needs to be this proactive approach with ILD. Um, it, it has manifested similar to me as, as an immunotherapy ILD. Um, and it's, it's, it's been new for us um, with this compound, but my experience has been um, the, it, similar to immunotherapy with a few uh, um, at least anecdotal changes in my mind. One is the ILD that I've seen with this has not been this full-blown bilateral pneumonitis that I can sometimes see with, with IL. Uh, it's been more grade one or two um, and when I do see it, it tends to be more localized than, than what we see with immunotherapy. And I don't think this has been recapitulated in the literature, but that's certainly been my experience. That's number one. Two is, um, I, I think that steroids are the way to go here. Uh, and that's what I've used uh, and, and have been successful in that. Again, I don't have many patients with ILD 
with this drug. I remember with, with data put about Drexican, the ILD rate was was quite low uh, in tropia and lung 01. Uh, and, 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 and the study that we did, even in combination with IO, I didn't see it that much. I think the 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 real important part of, of ILD management is you, you really got to be proactive. You got to screen the patient. You got to, you know, talk to them, see how they're doing, scan them, um, you know, suspend the treatment uh, and then implement the steroids. And we need to remember the algorithm for the treatment or the suspension of ADCs for ILD is different than the algorithm for the suspension of immunotherapy with ILD. You know, for a grade one uh, a patient on immunotherapy getting a grade one um, pneumonitis, you can continue IO. Um, for grade one, at least for now, for ADCs, um, we the, the, the recommendation is to hold the treatment. So there's a little bit different nuance here. Um, that may change over time, but that's where we are right now. Yeah, and that's a good point. In the grade one cases that you've seen, if you've seen this scenario where you've started steroids, have you been able to have radiologic uh, resolution? Have you rechallenged? What's happened in that setting? Do you have any? Yeah, we have. I mean, I've only had a few, but yes, these ILDs were steroid responsive with resolution where we, we were able to rechallenge them. And did it recur or? No, no, not, not in the ones that we had. Alex, what has your experience been with ILD uh, more in the monotherapy setting? So this is one of the few things that scares me. And as I said, and the main reason being is, you know, especially after participating in the phase one, where we pushed it to 10. And, you know, eight to 10, the ILD incidents went up and I had a couple of bad cases there. And the reason it scares me is, you know, it's hard to pick up, right? I mean, I'm a lung cancer patient. I have increasing cough and a little bit more shorter breath. You know, we're trying not to scan these people every week, right? So you're trying to make a clinical diagnosis. Is it a viral infection? Do I need to get a scan? Is what's going on? So it's often very hard to make the diagnosis. And grade one ILD slash pneumonitis, whatever you want to call it, is a radiographic finding. And we've all looked at scan reports. In fact, we've all looked at scans. And, you know, the radiologist in point number nine says, small, hazy, infiltrated to the right lower lobe. And you blow it off. That could be a sign of early ideal pneumonitis. And it was technically grade one, we're supposed to hold. So think about how hard it's going to be to manage. And then if you're only scanning people in the real world, you know, it's cycle four, you're not scanning them to cycle seven, and they're going on vacation. A long while is going to go by. Things will get bad in a hurry. So it's one of those things that make me nervous. And we've all taken care of ILD patients on other drugs or maybe an ADC where they just don't get better. And you go from that point where they have like a, a pneumonitis-like picture where they respond to a point where they don't respond. They're stuck with a fibrotic lunge and they never get better. It's rare, especially with the doses what they're using. But it's really hard to make a diagnosis sometimes in our patients who have a lot of other reasons to have a cough, cough and shortness of breath. Is it post-obstructive atelectasis? Is that what's calling this ultrade? Or is it pneumonitis? And right, you know, you you know, it's easy to be wrong. And it's a very humbling uh, for me, it's a very humbling time uh, for mistakes that I've made when you're not sure what to do. Yeah, I think those are really excellent points. Okay, so to wrap up this, I think I'll ask a final question. Um, and maybe start with you, Alex. Um, on a whole, given your experience and with you know reviewing the data in terms of these trope 2 ADCs. Uh, we definitely have just spent a long time talking about the unique toxicities, but on a whole, would you say these drugs are more or less well tolerated than our standard of care second line docetaxel? So the easy answer is I'm not a docetaxel fan. It's been around for a long time. One we all want to change, but I do think it's easier. And docetaxel, in my clinical experience, is a tough drug. Tough drug to give. I usually limit it to six cycles. I've been able to give data for up to a year or more. Um, no alopecia. 
And docetaxel in real world has a lot of side effects that are probably very similar that we're just undercalling it. And I always kid people, I wonder if docetaxel was going up for FDA approval today, would it have made it? because of all the side effects and the tolerability, et cetera. And my bet is it would probably have been a negative study for whatever you were comparing it to, and they probably would have said go back to the drawing board. So I think assuming these get approved, it's a big step forward. Yeah, excellent. And Ben, final thoughts on that point? Yeah, I, I would agree. I think it's a step forward uh, with, with, um, with the second-line therapy. I mean, going to your you know, your study, Aaron, the tropian lung one we need to remember, yes, there was stomatitis, and Yes, there was ILD, uh, but there were more dose reductions in the docetaxel. There were more dose continuations with docetaxel. Um, so there were more serious treatment-related adverse events with docetaxel. So, I mean, I, I think the data speaks for itself. We, we need to get proactive with management of some of these unique side effects, but I think this will be a step forward. Is it a huge step forward or is it just kind of a baby step? Maybe I Look, at this point, I'll take a baby step. Uh, and so I'm happy with that and we'll see. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you both. Um, and thank you again for joining us for this segment on optimizing the use of ADCs in different settings of non-small cell lung cancer with a specific focus on the toxicity profiles. Please be sure to click on the landing page for this activity to claim your continuing education credit, access supplemental slides, as well as other topic segments. We hope you found this podcast useful and educational. To receive continuing education credit and to download your printable certificate, please go to the activity page at practice.cme.com to complete the post-test and evaluation to receive continuing education credit.